If you've ever wondered why some people think eating spaghetti and garlic bread is nearly as bad for you as pouring whiskey on your Wheaties, then this episode is for you. As the title implies, we're going to look at high-protein diets, in particular paleo and keto, but not to praise or debunk them, but merely as a starting point to look at something that nearly everybody seems to forget. Food trends come and food trends go. In part one, this episode, we'll take a look at how two cardiologists named Atkins and Ornish illuminate why there isn't only one right way to eat. Discuss why eliminating foods from your diet can be profound. And also talk about the pleasure penalty. No, the pleasure penalty has nothing to do with your ex or even your current lover. We'll get into it. In addition, we're going to dive into the dark and murky psychological muck and look at why people choose certain ways of eating. Here in San Francisco, Keto Crusaders versus Carbo Zombies on the Golden Gate, part one, starts now. This is Cornucopia. San Francisco, we're known for being open-minded, unconstrained by convention, as well as informed by our intellects, more than cultural prejudice. But for a growing group of people, that logic goes out the window when it comes to food. A fear of carbohydrates, like zombies crossing the Golden Gate Bridge, invades our dreams and turns mild-mannered people into crusaders battling against the heretics who love spaghetti with garlic bread, seeking converts to the holy grail of high-protein diets. We won't survive. We have to try. But like every Puritan, these devout believers are tempted by the world around them, sinners in the hands of the carbo-laden devil. So it's not surprising that When not panicked about their blood sugar level, these purists have another rule. One that reminds me of the old joke about the kosher exclusionary rule. Simply put, that pork is kosher if it's served in a Chinese restaurant. For many high-protein dieters, there should be a similar exclusionary rule. Let's call it the comfort food exclusionary rule. If you put a plate of pork belly french fries, sea salt caramel brioche, mac and cheese with bacon, or a matcha green tea cronut in front of a keto crusader, I'll bet you a case of artisan jalapeno fennel probiotic locally made organic sauerkraut, then more than a few of these protein lovers will scarf down these carbs like a stray mutt that's finally found a bowl of dog chow. There's nothing wrong with being flexitarian, 
I'm one too. I've avoided wheat and dairy for decades, but if you invited me for dinner and made a cake for dessert, I'd have a slice, maybe two. Now, not everybody is as lucky as me. And of course, people with more serious allergies could never enjoy such indulgence. We're not poking fun at the inconsistency, but we're bringing it up because it illuminates something essential. Food isn't merely functional, just about nourishment, to lose weight, or put on muscle. Said another way, citing the book Consuming Passions, The Anthropology of Eating, Animals feed while humans eat. The difference being that feeding is about biology, while eating is part of a social construct. Now, without getting distracted about whether some animals engage in more communal eating, the point remains clear, at least for those of us lucky enough to have choices about where to eat and what to eat, breaking bread or sharing a meal is more than just a way to nourish the body. Communal eating increases social bonding and connection within families, among larger communities, and with strangers too. Regardless of what your family does these days or how much you hated it as a child, eating together strengthens relationships Good to see you, sir. Yeah, Sam, you think you took your college good to spend a little time with your family every now and then? Well, I've been real busy with my research, uh, I don't want no potatoes. You know mashed potatoes give me gas. You know, in my day, Sherman, people used to spend time with their family on Sundays and special occasions. Throughout history, food has been central to initiations, rituals, and celebrations. And of course, in our modern era, eating is associated with even a wider array of occasions business lunches and dinners, dating and romance, birthdays, holidays, religious gatherings, and honoring the dead. For many, the vibrant social and spiritual connections created when sharing a meal was acutely evident during the long lockdowns of the pandemic. Now let's shift our focus from the anthropology of eating and get down to the dinner table and look at two low-carb diets that are really popular these days. Paleo, or the caveman diet, and keto, or the ketogenic diet. Our purpose isn't to endorse or debunk any particular way to eat, but to look at these as we examine how food trends come and food trends go, and also the various factors that shape our perceptions about food and diets, and even conventional wisdom. They include both the influence of idealists and self-promoting businesses, market research and product development, as well as human nature and our desire for easy answers when it comes to choosing ways to be healthy. In part two, we're going to examine this in depth. One other note. We're not going to spend time on any ethical considerations that many individuals consider primary when deciding what to eat. Religion, of course. The issues of animal rights and cruelty. And these days, increasingly relevant considerations about the role meat and dairy consumption play in the climate crisis. A recent study by the UN Food and Agriculture Organization noted that meat and dairy 
account for 14.5% of all greenhouse gases. So if you're using solar and driving an electric car, but you eat a diet heavy in animal protein, there's some cognitive dissonance you certainly need to deal with. But the key thing to keep in mind as you listen to this episode is that there's no one-size-fits-all approach to well-being. Like that old cliche, one person's meat is another person's poison. We'll start with the paleo or caveman diet. It dates back to the 70s, but only became very popular in the early part of the 21st century. As noted by the Mayo Clinic website, a paleo diet is a dietary plan based on foods similar to what might have been eaten during the Paleolithic era before the development of agriculture between 2.5 million to 10,000 years ago. These days, paleo dieters eat meat, fish, fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds, foods which, according to the theory, were available to our hunter-gatherer ancestors. Paleo dieters avoid dairy products, beans, and grains because these were only available after humans developed farming. Once again, we're not judging, but exploring and explaining. But adherents of this diet believe it's the best diet for everybody. Everybody. But this ignores bioindividuality, as well as increasing evidence that eating high-protein diets over an extended period actually increases risks for heart disease, strokes, and other types of cancer as well. Advocates claim that the benefits, weight loss, greater vitality, are substantial and offset the risks. We'll leave this analysis to you and your life coach if you have one. The ketogenic diet, or keto, is another one in vogue these days. It was originally created for treating pediatric epilepsy. Keto is the far more rigorous diet, which also includes a lot of math, to determine the right ratio of foods you can eat. Keto dieters eat a very regimented and specific ratio of nutrients. The ratio of protein and fat and a few low-carb vegetables. Meat, seafood, egg, cheese, nuts, seeds, coconut oil strawberries, blueberries, and avocado, and low-carb vegetables such as greens, zucchini, and broccoli, among others, all in prescribed proportions that seeks to induce ketosis. Ketosis is a process where the absence of glucose in the body, and of course the body converts carbohydrates into glucose, creates ketones which the liver uses to convert fat into energy instead. Keto dieters eat less protein than paleo and most other low-carb diets. That's because absent carbohydrates, the body will also convert protein into glucose or fuel. And the goal of keto is to limit nutrients in the diet in order to make the body burn body fat for energy. Now, while there are people that commit to ketogenic diets over long periods of time, many keto fans we know often straddle between keto and paleo, and others commit to a keto diet for one or two months each year. 
Much like paleo diets, there are a number of health concerns for those following long-term ketogenic diets. These include kidney and GI issues, nutritional deficiencies, and like paleo, increased risk for cardiovascular disease too. Keto dieters also claim the benefits offset the risks. Again, our discussion isn't about endorsing a way to eat, but instead pointing out that no matter how much a proponent of this diet or that one want you to believe that it's the best and only way to eat if you care about your health, that's baloney. We're not saying that these diets don't offer benefits, but that the rationale behind all of them is based on current trends, not any bedrock of science. These have also spawned a huge array of extremely expensive packaged foods. Pasta, bars, cookies, crackers, chips, coffee drinks, smoothies, and even ice cream catering to the nutritional restrictions of both these diets. But before we move on to that discussion, we're going to look at two innovative cardiologists. Both created diets and protocols for patients with serious heart disease through very different approaches. Don't go away. Cornucopia will be right back with more. You're listening to Cornucopia, the cult, culture, and business of food. Our website is cornucopiashow.com. Our Twitter is at cornucopiashow. And our mood is cranky. For anyone looking to understand why there isn't just one way to stay healthy or one way to improve your well-being, you don't need to go much further than Dr. Robert Atkins and Dr. Dean Ornish. Both these cardiologists developed diets for patients with heart disease and achieved great success with entirely different theories of nutrition. Atkins emphasized eating animal protein and fats, while Ornish prescribed a low-fat vegetarian diet with complex carbohydrates and beans. We'll start with the Atkins diet. Developed by Robert Atkins, a New York City cardiologist in the 60s, as noted by the Mayo Clinic website, he created a theory that eating too many carbohydrates, especially sugar, white flour, and other refined carbs, led to blood sugar imbalances, weight gain, and heart problems. The Atkins diet restricts carbohydrates, emphasizing eating more protein and fats. A couple of decades later, in Northern California, another innovative cardiologist, Dean Ornish, took a completely opposite approach. Ornish believed high consumption of animal protein and fats were a primary cause of heart disease. Ornish prescribed a low-fat vegetarian diet that was high in fruit, vegetables, whole grains, and beans. Both Atkins and Ornish had success reversing heart disease in patients through very different approaches. And they both illustrate the fact that there is no single right way to maintain optimum health, lose weight, 
or just look sexy in those skinny Levi's. Unlike Atkins, whose diet is still well known today and also spawned a wide array of products, including nutrition bars, foods, protein powders and drinks, vitamins and supplements. Ornish's diet gained far less attention, most likely due to the fact that it was vegetarian. For most Americans, the opportunity to reverse heart disease or reduce the risk of it, eating a diet where steak, burgers, bacon, and chicken are central to it is far more appealing than tofu, brown rice, and beans. Said another way, there was a far smaller pleasure penalty if you followed the Atkins diet. The pleasure penalty, as you might have guessed, refers to the way a diet or a particular way of eating diminishes the pleasure associated with eating food. In addition, Atkins diet would also be boosted by the huge influence of the meat industry's PR and marketing reach as well. It's estimated that the American meat industry spends $550 million a year on advertising. You know those ads, the ones featuring husbands and wives walking to the barn while the sun rises in the east? That's baloney. The meat and poultry industry have consolidated so dramatically four companies process over 80% of American beef. 80%. The consolidation of this industry has not only destroyed family farms, but also has exploited workers and processing plants. And for some extra manure on top of the agribusiness cake, frequently causes serious groundwater contamination and air pollution due to a failure to manage animal waste properly. In addition, just three companies control 63% of the nation's hog processing, and five companies control more than 60% of the chicken market. Processing, the most important part of the industry, is the slaughtering, packaging, and distribution of meat, pork, and poultry. Now, in case you're wondering, I'm not vegetarian. While I eat a large number of vegetarian meals at home, I'm also a carnivore. Although the cognitive dissonance in eating animal protein is getting harder to maintain every day. See our blog for stories on this issue, as well as a 2019 Human Rights Watch report detailing workers' rights abuses in the meat and poultry processing industry. Old MacDonald had a farm. But let's leave the industrial feedlot for now and go back to that smaller feedlot, also known as your kitchen. While there's plenty of disagreement over the best way to eat, one thing is abundantly clear. That changing your diet can provide powerful and very noticeable benefits. Especially for the many of us who have been eating meals with refined carbs along with lots and lots of dairy since we first gave up the baby bottle. Three meals a day with the same primary foods for most of your life means that many of us either have food allergies or become sensitive to these foods because of our nonstop consumption of them. Think about it. Breakfast cereal loaded with sugar, milk on top, 
for decades. Want to go camping for breakfast? Introducing new Kellogg's S'more cereal with chocolatey graham pillows and marshmallows. Part of this complete breakfast. Not to mention white bread for lunch, frozen and processed foods for dinner. Want chicken alfredo for dinner? It's ready in 60 seconds. Two words. Yeah. This is going to be so good. Shelf to table in 60 seconds. Hormel completes fast as 60 seconds. Remarkable, right? And also a key factor in the growth of so many lifestyle diseases in America. Most notably, as we talk about all the time, the dynamic duo epidemics of obesity and diabetes. Check out our pilot episode, The History of the Supermarket, to learn about how post-World War II America and the growth of the suburbs shifted shopping from local food retailers, the baker, the butcher, the greengrocer, to supermarkets, which coincided with the growth of processed and frozen foods. But getting back to the topic at hand, it's no surprise when people significantly change the foods they eat, paleo, gluten-free, keto, macrobiotic, it can provide numerous benefits and can sometimes lead people to be annoyingly preachy too. I can attest to the power of making these changes myself. In my 20s, after a lifelong challenge with allergies and asthma, with asthma sending me to the emergency room multiple times as a kid, I gave up wheat and dairy on the advice of a naturopathic physician. The results of eliminating wheat and dairy from my diet were remarkable. My asthma mostly disappeared, as well as my frequent bouts with bronchitis. One important distinction in regards to changing one's diet is that a majority of the people eating gluten-free do so because of health problems, such as food sensitivities and allergies, or more serious illnesses, such as Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, or IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. Most keto and paleo dieters we know choose these diets to lose weight. Now, in addition to the benefits of a ketogenic diet for people with epilepsy that we mentioned previously, there are a variety of new studies looking at how a modified ketogenic diet might help people with multiple sclerosis. There is also growing anecdotal evidence about how various types of low-carbohydrate diets could provide benefits for other conditions and illnesses, including autism, diabetes, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, Parkinson's, as well as a variety of gastrointestinal conditions, too. These clinical applications are still developing and uncertain, but benefits beyond losing weight may be very significant in the future. There's no doubt about the link between the overprocessed, industrialized food we eat and many other diseases besides diabetes and obesity. Yet the opportunity to create health-positive policies to limit the growth of these many lifestyle diseases is obstructed by the massive influence, lobbying, and money of the meat and beverage industries. Check out episode 8 and you'll see what they're really up to. That's our interview with Pulitzer Prize winner Michael Moss, author of the book Salt, Sugar, Fat, 
in which he details how America's corporate food giants have actually altered our taste buds and got us addicted to salt, sugar, and fat. So next time you eat a bag of Oreos or all those chips, don't just think of it as a failure of willpower. The reason you can't eat just one or a handful is part of the design of big corporate food. Our new Lay's potato chips, now more than ever, too good to eat just one. We're going to grab our scuba gear and dive into those murky waters of why people choose the way they eat next. Don't go away. Cornucopia will be right back with more. If you're exhausted pretending you like your mother-in-law's sourdough, podcasts from celebrities with nothing to say, or asking your kids to put on more than their superhero underwear tending the remote classroom, have we got great news for you. Cornucopia 10 items or less are express for minute-ish episodes are ready for your short attention span and the perfect bit of brain candy to make you sparkle at post-vaccination get-togethers. Hey, excuse me, pal. Hey, you got a problem with reading here, buddy? Uh, This is the express lane, 10 items or less. Yeah, no, yeah, well, okay. Yeah, I see you got your large mayonnaise there, but uh, eight cans of garbanzo beans do not add up to one item. Okay, 10 items total. Cornucopia, 10 items or less. Yeah, what? Uh, whatever, man. Look, well, I hope you have a good pandemic, too. Subscribe now, or you might miss our next episode. Water, water everywhere, and plastic bottles in the sea. Stay safe. Now, back to these diets, which are actually theories based on a set of assumptions. Now, sometimes the reasoning is from well-meaning adherents, individuals, doctors, or others who believe eating this way is beneficial, can improve our health. Other times, it's just a way to get those dollar bills. But once a diet becomes popular, it doesn't matter who created it or why. It often becomes a way to get consumers. That means you and me to buy more expensive things. Now, as we've said in other episodes, if you think I'm just a cranky doubter, hold those free-range horses. I buy organic when I can. I love kombucha. I really, really love it. I have avoided wheat and dairy since the 1980s due to a lifelong challenge with asthma and allergies. I get acupuncture and swallow two big handfuls of supplements every day. Take a mega dose of fish oil and amino acids instead of heart medication. And even make my own deodorant with witch hazel and essential oils too. But here's the point. If you ask, I'll certainly help you pick out a variety of vitamins and supplements that I believe should help your overall well-being or a particular condition but I won't try and convert you to follow my approach, nor will I think that you're stupid if you don't. Additionally, if you think I'm goofy for swallowing all these vitamins, supplements, and herbs, no problem. Different strokes for different folks. For those of us lucky enough to have food to eat and also have choices about what to eat, and not to mention clean drinking water, 
there are lots of different theories and rationales you could pick from. We all have stories, reasons, ideas, some might say myths, that guide us as we navigate our choices. But to many passionate followers of paleo or keto or other diets, there's only one right way to eat. Tell a zealot that their choice isn't something you're interested in. Don't be surprised if you're greeted with a look of pity, followed by a sermon on the protein mount seeking to convert you to their particular orthodoxy. But here's the deal. With more than 30 years in the food and nutrition business, I've seen plenty of trends come, and I've seen plenty of trends go, and all of them came with lots of nutritionists, doctors, books, studies, and other reasons why you should follow them. I've known people that fasted one week every three months, others who ate six small meals a day, and these days know a lot of people are engaged in intermittent fasting too. Know folks who believe eating raw vegetables is bad for your health because it stresses out your body, and those who believe the opposite, that only raw foods provide you with vitality. Additionally, I can tell you a story about one of the fittest personal trainers I've ever known that was so militant in regards to reducing his cholesterol that his hair started falling out and he got rashes all over his extremely fit body because he developed fatty acid nutritional deficiency. In part two, we're going to examine this in depth and look at a variety of trends that are highly illuminating, fascinating, and point out the foibles of what it means to be human. There are always trends coming and going, and there's always a vast array of experts telling you, if you love yourself, you gotta do this. We all have stories that guide us as we navigate our choices in a world no longer restricted by the old dictates of religion or other social norms. In other words, what constitutes a life well lived is now self-created. We'll expand on this point with a clip from a 2009 TED Talk by the philosopher and writer Alain de Botton, titled A Kinder, Gentler Philosophy of Success. You can find it on our blog. The other thing about modern society and why it causes us anxiety is that we have nothing at its centre that is non-human. We are the first society to be living in a world where we don't worship anything other than ourselves. We think very highly of ourselves, and so we should. We've put people on the moon. We've done all sorts of extraordinary things. Uh, and so we tend to worship ourselves. Our heroes are human heroes. Um, that's a very new situation. Most other societies have had right at their centre the worship of something transcendent, a god, a spirit, a natural force, the universe, whatever it is, something else that is being worshipped. Uh, we've slightly lost the habit of doing that. Now, of course, we're not saying every paleo or keto dieter is adapting this way of eating in response to the absence of a higher power, a higher calling, or to affirm that they're living a life to its fullest. But the fanaticism of some makes their choices seem to be about more than just health. We're not talking about those people 
facing a serious illness or food allergies, but healthy people who embrace their diets like religion. Commitment and sacrifice, promises or vows, trying to convert non-believers. Echoes of religion are strong, especially for those who constantly berate themselves when they fail to live up to the promises of abstinence required by the dietary path that they've chosen. Forgive me, Mother, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Let's keep it in perspective. This is a first, first, first world problem. And just to lighten things up, we're very happy to let you know Gwyneth Paltrow, who others call the lifestyle guru, confessed that during the long pandemic lockdown, okay, are you sitting down for this? She fell off the no-carb wagon and ate pasta. Pasta. And she even ate bread. Trends come, trends go. And whether eating paleo or ketogenic gives you power over your health, reduces your waistline, makes you feel better, or you're doing it because you've been duped into buying things that are more expensive by people who want you to think that you're not good enough, only you can say, all we have is choices. Choices. That's really all there is. They come with cost and benefits. Whether we're merely chasing our own tails or improving our well-being, that's up to you to decide. If you're looking for the right answer, just remember this. Trends come, trends go. Keep it in perspective. Don't forget, we got part two coming midweek. You gonna finish that? Yeah, I'm gonna finish it. I paid for it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give it to you. No. If you're not gonna finish it, I would eat it. But if you're gonna eat it, you're gonna... What do you want? Say the words. No, go ahead. You're gonna eat it. You eat it. That's all right. Say the words. I want the roast beef sandwich. Say the words, and I'll give uh, you a piece. Would you guys cut this out? I mean, every time. Anything. Well, if he doesn't talk. He just. He, well, you know what he means, right? The show was written and produced by me, Matt Levine. Really appreciate your listening. Be sure to check out our archives. We do a wide variety of shows. We'd love to have you subscribe and share us with your friends. Special thanks to Alex Zondervan. We really appreciate his guidance and coaching and quirky jibber jabber. Check out his website, generalsubject.org, where you can discover rhizograph printing which is amazing and might be perfect for your next product or project or wedding invitation or cards, generalsubject.org. We want to thank the following, Judith Bigham and Diego Goucher, Nancy Levine, Nicole Whedon, Matt Zucker, Claudia Marshall, Will Puckett for tech support, Dirk Schluter and Ken Perez, Scott Berkeley for legal counsel, Sam Valley, 
Cherry Pasamba, David Adams, Dennis and Alper Kearney. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Levine. We'll see you in the grocery aisle. Every time we say goodbye. Every time we say goodbye.